I was pretty unhappy. I wasn't doing very well in terms of feeling like I had a place. And it was, I remember it was a sunny afternoon. I was driving my mom's car and just feeling driving this road. I drive it every day. I'm just going to see where it goes. And I had no real directional sense, but I wasn't on a highway or anything. It was just a random road that if you take it long enough, you end up back at the beginning of town. And it was really this feeling of claustrophobia. Of, I've got to get out. And I must have had it on a playlist or something, but it was Born to Run, the acoustic version on the Chimes of Freedom album that just, that's the thing outside of, I didn't need to learn the riff. I didn't need to, it was the voice. It was the, at that time, it was simply the most emotionally cathartic, it was the most advanced thing that I'd ever heard and just blew my doors off. And it was like, there was just a whole world. It's like I've been living in a house that it's, it's been torn down and here's the world outside. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is Michael, and I'm thrilled to be visiting with him. We've had some adjustments. He had to adjust his schedule for me. I had to adjust my schedule for him, but it's all good now. We are here. And I am looking forward to our conversation. Welcome to Set Lusting Bruce. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. Let's see. So I'm originally from Missouri, Columbia, Missouri. I guess family is, that's how the family's from the Ozarks, but we eventually made our way to Columbia. Found my way and through high school and did the normal high school experience. And then I guess for the most part, and then Eventually got to, ended up in North Carolina, which is where I'm at now, in Winston-Salem. Really came out just on a whim and didn't really think much of it. It was just that thing of, yeah, hometown's not, we need to move on from this, that kind of thing. So I hadn't really thought about laying roots down in North Carolina. And then that was 15 years ago. Been here ever since. Met my wife. We have a couple kids, two and a soon to be five-year-old. So it's been, it's home now, I guess. So it's great. Why do you think you've settled there? What about it has become home? Just, is that where the gig is? Is that where work is? You like the environment? You like the town? What about it has made it home? Yeah, I think, so it was always, um, it wasn't such a throwing darts at a map type thing, but I had gotten in some nothing too serious. It was really just teenage drinking tickets that had accumulated in Missouri. And I had that, I was in the football, that crowd and, but always had other interests. And so I found my way and was maybe a bit, just a little too rowdy at times. And yeah, I had gotten into some situations where it was like, all right, I can either go and thankfully I was under the age of 21. I was probably 17, 18 at the time. And got some favorable 
people to help me out with the situation legally. And it was really like, all right, I could go and do community service on some some random project that I would just be logging time in. But I had gotten involved in high school with a, a religious group called Young Life that was really just instrumental in, in finding my way through just that time, a confusing time. And uh, there was all these summer camps kind of planted throughout the country that I had been to as a camper, but I was able to finagle all right, 30 days of volunteering at this summer camp. What would that do for paying my debt for being an underage kid, getting in stupid trouble? And so it ended up working out, got to the camp, hadn't really thought much beyond that, just knew that I needed a change of scenery, even if it was just for a month. And met met a bunch of great people and I never really fit that box because there was everybody they're going there on scholarships they're playing sports they're engineers they're architects all really wonderful people just people that people unlike people I had ever met and it was just incredible it was a great time but I met another guy who he was 26 at the time and I was I had just turned 19 I think no, I was about to turn 20. That's what it was. And so I didn't, I wasn't really enrolled in school or anything. And he had obviously graduated and he was on his own kind of road to finding some clarity or some purpose and some kind of thing to make it all make sense. And we found each other as the outcasts of this group. And he had a home in Winston, Winston-Salem, where we had a couple, he had a couple roommates and got to the end of the month and I just felt like I had really made some changes. I felt a lot of, I felt I'd worked through a a decent amount of kind of the baggage and and all the stuff that I was trying to sort out and got to the end of the uh, end of that trip. And it was like, I know that I don't want to go back to Missouri, but I don't know what that looks like. But if I do go back to Missouri, I'm not going to be the same person. So to rejoin that scene, isn't going to fit. So where's that? So my friend, Brad, he was just kind of Hey, you can pay me 150 bucks a month. Why don't you just come live with me? And uh, that was that. And that was 15 years ago. And uh, haven't left since. And we have a great community now and a great group of friends. And now we have kids and our friends have kids. And it's just been, I guess that's what makes it home. And then to firm that up and then you find a job. You go to college, you finish that. And you attempt to do the rest of it as good as you can. That's pretty much how, why we stayed. So you got in a hometown jam. That's right. That's but right. they did not send you off. You, They sent you off to do the, I guess, the fight, the surly camper. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The campers were all great. It, they were all wonderful. That, that was the easy part. It was great. That's great. So I always like to start at the beginning. Talk about you mentioned you were growing up in Missouri, but what kind of family life did you have? Did What kind of music did your family listen to when you were a youngster? Yeah, it's so my parents, they split up fairly early on. So I was five or six, roughly, when they split up. But so my mom is from Kansas City, and that side of the family comes from the Ozarks. And then my dad is actually from Chile. So he came from Chile to Miami. And my mom had her own thing. And so she made her way to Miami for a big job that she had. And that was in 84. And I was born, I guess, five or six years after that. 
And so growing up in Miami, it was all Phil Collins and George Michael was a big Michael Jackson, all that stuff. And so, yeah, growing up, that was, there was never, it was always really more movies. Music was the secondary thing, but it was always in the house, but it was always these Miami, the Miami scene, right? The Don Johnson, Miami Vice scene. So John Cicada, Gloria Estefan. Yeah, Phil Collins was, Phil Collins and Michael Jackson were probably my dad's top choices. I still have a very fond appreciation for them, but that was pretty much the foundational if any, really exposure to music that I'd really had at that time. But primarily, it was always music and movies. Those were the two things that really shaped that time. Because my parents were, they weren't the best couple. And so I was often relying on movies and what I limited knowledge I knew of music at that time. But that was pretty much a snapshot of, of that time. And then when I... When parents split up and I went to live with my mom in Missouri, that was when really I would say I count Missouri as where I really grew up. And that's where I started to really find my way and not just, hey, this is what my parents like. It's more of, hey, this is what interests me. These are the types of movies that I like. And I was a pretty much, a, a, I, we moved around a lot. So I never, I always moved. My parents were very, they just, as everybody does, you have your own stuff going on. And so they weren't necessarily around that much in that way. And so I found my own, it was the way I viewed the world. It was the way I learned how to operate within the world. And so movies really were the big thing until, until Bruce, really. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So you've mentioned, we're going to get to Bruce in a minute, but you talked about movies a couple of times. What were some of the earlier influences? Why do you feel movies spoke to you so much? And what kind of movies? Oh, man. It was, it's basically everything that I don't let my kids watch now. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. 
zero boundaries as a kid. There was just like discipline was just not a thing. So if I was, if I, I was in the movie theater and I have the ticket stub, I've seen the ticket stub. I, I don't have it with me, but I was there on opening night for Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and Jurassic Park. I do remember being at Jurassic Park. So that would have made me two and a half, three years old. And so from there, it was, I was obsessed with Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Bruce Willis, really these 80s films that I still have a big appreciation for. But from there, it was, I started to discover things like Scorsese films, Nicolas Cage. I really loved Nicolas Cage. I liked him then, Quentin Tarantino. I got into a lot of really adult films very early on and very young. Um, and it, it's really interesting to think back, like, you know, I really probably could have turned out a lot differently because that was that shaped culture for me. It was never, I don't know if you're familiar with the actor Michael Madsen from the Quentin Tarantino world, but in my mind, he was the coolest, he was just the guy that, that as a young kid, you're looking for those role models and those people. And from an early age, it was people on the screen that were, they exemplified masculinity and what it meant to be a, a man. And so those were really a lot of the films. And so I could remember going to multiple different Walmarts in town, trying to buy a box set of Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown at 12 years old and the person telling me like you cannot buy this it is not appropriate for you but that I had no concept of that I just knew that this is De Niro doing Tarantino this is John Travolta's comeback in Pulp Fiction this is I need this you don't understand and so finally I just got some teenager to go in and buy it for me at that time other people are going to get teenagers to people Overage to buy them beer. You're going to films. Yeah. It, got uh, to, it eventually grew into that. <laughs> yeah, so I mentioned. I think based on what your origin story that happened, uh, what was interesting. My son was born in '89, and okay. Linda and I, in a lot of ways, were the world's worst parents because we didn't limit what films we watched. He would watch in front of us. And our rule was just because you hear someone on TV say this word doesn't mean you can say that word. And after the fact, we found out because, you know, we he's eight or nine. We got him a, a TV in his room and we got him a cable box so he could watch WCW and in oh. uh, the Monday Night War. So he just was yeah. huge. And after, wow, I don't know if we should let a nine-year-old, we should have let a nine-year-old watch this crap. But he's turned out okay. He's still obsessed with wrestling. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, still, he still loves Stone Cold. And uh, so I, and it was funny because Batman and Robin came out. And yeah. so he was in kindergarten. Okay. And yeah. we were going to go see it. And he asked one of his best friends if they could go. And the mom's, Jesse, it's a PG-13. I don't let my son go to those. And Linda asked me, were you offended? I'm like, no, that's her choice. How to let her grace her kid. I grew up on comic books. 
my kid's going to go see the new Batman. Yeah. yeah. And I remember we went and saw True Lies together. Oh, what a great one. And the only time I got nervous is when Jamie Lee Curtis is dancing to the John Hyatt song. And I was like a little bit, oh, good eye, okay. Which is often right. You never worry about your child seeing violence and you worry about them seeing sex, which tells you what's wrong with America in a little bit, right? Right, yeah. 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 It's okay to see Stallone mow people down, but a second Jamie Lee Curtis is... Yeah. We have an issue. Yeah. So let's move to music. You talked about Bruce. So can you remember when you first discovered Bruce? And if you can articulate it, what about his music spoke to you? It was a, it was, I graduated to Bruce. So the first thing, so really all this kind of all happened in really one summer when I had barely graduated high school. And it really wasn't for anything other than just lack of effort. I had simply one priority, and that was to stay eligible to play football. And in my mind, I was so stupid and young that it was just all going to, I was going to figure college out. It was just going to work out. They're going to come find me (laughs) kind of thing. And so it really all culminated in the one summer. It was Bob Seger's Night Moves. Remember, that was the first song that I'd heard that I was like, Okay, there is something else. It's not just sounds and all good background music. There's actually a life in these things that have been recorded. And so I fixated on night moves and uh, just started to find my way through. That was the first song that I really heard that I was like, I have to play that riff. And I had made a conscious decision at that time that drinking, I needed to really pump the brakes on going out with my friends and doing that. But it was, we were all, and I'm still friends with a lot of my friends from high school now. But at that time, not drinking with them was really just not on the table at the time. And so I looked for an outlet. The first thing I got was a guitar and I just loved, it was a black Takamini which I then found to be pretty meaningful in the world of Bruce, but I didn't really put any thought into it at that time. And I just really wanted to play GFC, that Night Moves riff. And then that just ignited something in me. I was pretty unhappy. I wasn't doing very well in terms of feeling like I had a place. And it was, I remember it was a sunny afternoon. I was driving my mom's car. All of my friends had left town because you know, they had all gone on to college out of state or they were going to school at Mizzou there in, in Columbia. And I had made some effort to go to community college and just feeling driving this road. I drive it every day. I'm just going to see where it goes. And I had no real directional sense, but I wasn't on a highway or anything. It, it was just a random road that if you take it long enough, you end up back at the beginning of town. And it was really this feeling of claustrophobia. I've got to get out. And I must have had it on a playlist or something, but it was Born to Run, the acoustic version on the Chimes of Freedom album that just, that's the thing outside of, I didn't need to learn the riff. I didn't need to, it was the voice. It was the, at that time, it was simply the most emotionally cathartic, it was the most advanced thing that I'd ever heard 
and just blew my doors off. And it was like, there was just a whole world. It's like, I've been living in a house that it's, it's been torn down and here's the world outside. And uh, that's the moment. I think that was the first song. And I can remember feeling this obligation that I needed to hear the original album version, the Born to Run, the full studio. And I just always went back to that acoustic version. So that was the moment, I think, that I haven't really turned back since. And it's obviously it's been worth it. I do agree that acoustic version is something I've gone to over and over again. I love that version of it. It feels different. Yeah. It and we all love Born to Run. We love that anthem. We love when we're all screaming it and yelling it. But it did feel a different version of the song. So I could understand how that would go. Oh, wait, this is something. So what's next, Michael? You've discovered this. What was the next step? Did you go out and find other albums? What did you go next in your fandom? Yeah, I. Uh, so it was all right at the time that I moved to North Carolina and embarked on that whole adventure. But it was just, I couldn't tell you exactly where, but it Born to Run obviously was a big thing. Got into the river, the title track. I remember hearing Point Blank for the first time. And I, there was a good period of time where I didn't want the bar band. I wanted the Point Blanks. I wanted the Nebraskas. I wanted that, the dark, I wanted the darkness, the stuff have debts that no honest man can pay. I needed to feel that. And I can remember early on in in my wife and I's relationship, I played her downbound train. (laughs) And I can remember playing, and she's from New Jersey. She's South Jersey. And so she had a familiarity with him, but I remember playing, it was Atlantic City, downbound train, and I played him for her. And uh, she was like, this guy is great. I know. So I was like discovering Bruce at this time and getting into the deep cuts she didn't have necessarily the deep cuts but she certainly knew of him her dad worked security at stone pony at one point in his long life but uh, i remember playing those two songs for her and she was just like you know how sad this is (laughs) this isn't like this romantic song that i was teeing it up to be and but it was those kinds of things that i really resonated with first and then tracking that through and then I think that inevitably and just organically develops until what does Bruce have to say when I'm newly married? What does he have to say about that? So then you go into Tunnel of Love and I really love Human Touch. I really love Lucky Town. I think, you know, that early nine, that Christic performance in 1990, I think that's Bruce's vocal peak. So I got really deep into the weeds as far as the music goes, but as much as I love the music, it's so much more, it really just is like the guy, like the, the Bruce himself. And I, it, he was definitely the map. And it was just this realization of this is a guy. It's so personal. The writing is so personal. I think it's inevitable that you feel like he's talking to you. I think that's the point. That's the magic trick. But I just became so fascinated by more so than the music, just how this guy as successful and as larger than life as he is, he's still so personal. And so I adopted this kind of way of my dad was not that for me. I never really had that kind of familial life. 
in a way. I had some of it, uh, but it, it really just evolved into that's the biggest gift, I think, of just not how to view the world, because it was certainly part of that, but how to operate within it, how to care for people, how to show empathy and have empathy and what is a true life. And that's been the biggest ongoing kind of gift, I think, that started with the music. And and that's just been the biggest thing, I think. It's just, it's such a, he can manage to keep his head on straight. I, there's probably something there for me to be able to get a piece of that and not in the sense of trying to be that successful or not that I have this great story to tell, but I think th- there are people like Bruce, they, that, those are gifts that I think are just part of life and part of living. They are choosing intentionality to be earnest and to be a light and be a force for good. And I think that's been the biggest thing. So I always like to preface this with, the amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are, depending on where you live, where your age, there just, there's a lot of factors, but have you been able to see him live? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, let's see. So Greensboro 2012 wrecking ball show. That was my first one. Okay. 14 and high hopes in Charlotte. And then he was supposed to come back. This is a really funny story, but, I've seen about five times and once, okay. so, one, so four times with the band, once on Broadway, but I, within those shows just became, it was my mission of, again, the writing is so personal. Of course, he's going to make time for me when he sees me. And so I got on this mission of, I am going to meet Bruce Springsteen. And that has not happened, but it's really fun. Most recently here, I saw him at the Greensboro show, but I, so my, so my wife's uncle, uh, when he was in, I guess, college or something, but his buddy snuck into Tunnel of Love tour with a camera and got this incredible picture of Bruce and Clarence together. And I have it framed and it's a massive canvas print. And back in in 2016, the River Tour, he was supposed to come to Greensboro, he canceled the show. But in the months leading up, I had actually contacted the local paper and basically just said, I'll do a freelance piece. Just give me a press pass. And I was able to talk my way into getting the opportunity to be backstage. So I had a press pass, had all these things. And of course, he cancels the show. So I'm like trying to do a makeup thing. I'm like, all right, Bruce is on Broadway. I know where he's going to be. I go to the stage door. I bring this. We've gotten tickets. We had the $75 tickets. We just lucked out. And uh, I'm waiting at the stage door and I finally, we're doing the, I'm doing the waiting thing and Bruce shows up, takes, show him the picture. He looks at it, acknowledges it. There's probably 18 people there and he signs every single thing except for my photo. (laughs) (laughs) And he just looks at it and, and, but he, I can remember clear as day, he looked at it and said, huh, and that was it. And I was like, what are you doing? Come on. And uh, so long story short, uh, I guess six, seven months later, no, nine months later, my uh, my wife's cousin was getting married in New York City. Bruce was still on in Broadway. And the rehearsal dinner the night before is just two or three blocks away from the theater. So I'm like, I'm going back. And this time I'm doing the, I'm taking, I had the Tunnel of Love vinyl. And I was like, he's definitely going to sign this. He's definitely going to sign it. And uh, so I 
shamefully walked up to one of the door guys and I was like, look, I'll give you 20 bucks if you want. Let's do this. And the guy, he did not work for Bruce, but he took the 20 and he said, if you like, if you bring it back, I promise. And he remembered me from previously. It was, it was it happened to be the same guy. And he was like, look, I remember that. I couldn't believe you couldn't sign. He didn't sign it. He was like, look, here, you give me 20 bucks, come back after the show. I'll make sure you get in front of them. So I go back and I've made the track. I've said my goodbyes to, to the family that I, we were all doing the rehearsal dinner with. And uh, I walk up and the guy pretends like he doesn't know me, the security guard. And he's working the door. And then I'm like, come on, man. Like we had an agreement. I gave you 20 bucks. Yeah. And then finally he just gives me a nod, sticks his hand out. He's got the $20 bill in his hand and he gives it back to me. And he says, John Landau standing right there. I cannot let you in right now. And I was like, again, just so crushed. So fast forward, I've had these stupid attempts to try to get Bruce's attention and my daughter, she's going to be five next month. Finally, all through COVID, it was all, she loves Mary's place. My kids call him Uncle Bruce. We listen to all the music and they love it. My son dances in the dark on repeat. He loves that song. So he's coming to Greensboro and I'm like, let's do it. Like my daughter and I were going, we got these tickets right behind the stage on on we did the drones drop on back streets and uh, right by the stage and it was during out of the street out in the street in greensboro i'm holding my daughter <laughs> the longest she's ever been awake ever and bruce just walks right over and he just waves like unmistakably looks right at her we're probably three rows from the side of the stage and he waves at her for a good five six seconds and I have it on video. I got a photo of it. And it, it was just this incredible moment. It was all these kind of attempts of wanting to get that moment with Bruce and thank him for everything and, and have my minute with the man, which is that I, I'm not going to say I got disillusioned, but I started to feel like, all right, maybe this isn't going to happen. And I'll just go enjoy the show. And I made my peace with that. And then in the one moment that I, that we have his attention, it's for my daughter. And that's, I could have never verbalized how much more I prefer that it be for her. And she's seeing this guy wave at her and she sees 20,000 people in Greensboro Coliseum and our entire section, just as soon as he waved, was just celebrating with her. And it was just, it was what you... It was that thing that you would expect meeting a hero, only I didn't meet him. It was that magical moment that, like, magic isn't real, but in that moment, there was something, and he was, it, the generosity, I think, in the moment that he gave to her just blew me away, and it still blows me away. We happened to have, I didn't coordinate this at all, but somebody on Instagram posted the, a picture of the wave from, like, a perfect angle, and... I have it framed here in my office and it's just, it's all she talked about the rest of the night. And it was, it was just an incredible time. It's just an incredible thing. If you can send me that photo, I'll include it when I send out the podcast. Oh, um, happily, Yeah, I can for you. I can yeah, it. that'd be great. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. Send them. yeah. That or the link to the Instagram, right? Yeah. You know, I I remember that Kirk Douglas never won an acting Oscar. Right. He won a producing one for Spartacus, but he never won an acting article Oscar. And I remember someone asking him, are you jealous that your son, Michael, has won an acting Oscar? And I remember this, and I understand this as a father. He said, no, he's yeah. me. When yeah. he wins, I win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I am sure there are some parents that might be jealous that happened, but it's a small percentage. Yeah. Because yeah. all of us would be, what is the thing you're only as happy as your sad, saddest child. And yeah, how wonderful was it to have that moment for someone because you've shared your love and joy of Bruce's music. They've picked it up and they're getting to enjoy it. Gosh, what a great moment. It was what a great so, moment. It blew my mind. It just blew me away. And I so this was end of March. So my daughter, she's in preschool or junior K. It's right before kindergarten, yeah. what we call it here. But she had this thing called the Spring Sing, where they were her, her class and be performing 12 songs. She's super nervous about it. And I was taking her to school that day and I cleared my work schedule. And my wife works at the school. She's a teacher in her, not her class, but in her building. And she was just like, I was taking her to school. She was super nervous. And she was like, are there going to be like, the amount of people there that were at Uncle Bruce's show. And I was like, no, there might be like 50, 60 people there. It's, she was like, oh, I thought it was going to be like the Greensboro Coliseum show. <laughs> and it, it was like immediately, she was like, oh, I got this. And she nailed it. She nailed every single word. It was, it's just an incredible, it's just incredible. I can think about it at any moment, at any time. And it just, Look at the pictures, I'm done. That makes my day. So I love that he's Uncle Bruce. I, one of my favorite episodes was multiple years ago. There was a column. This was when Bruce was doing the book tours. Yeah. And there was a column that the title was What I Would Have Told Bruce If I'd Had Time. And it was a mother talking about her daughter was born premature and her husband wrote a book, Juniper, the girl who was born too soon. Okay. And they, they take turns. One paragraph is them. One paragraph is her. It's an absolutely beautiful book. He was on the podcast with me telling the story and he didn't want he had all, this was a second marriage to him okay. and he didn't want kids again. Yeah. He had, he had adult child, he had adult college age kids. And so, as he said, so I have all this guilt that our daughter is born premature, but I'm the one who originally didn't want her. Right. Yeah. They read Harry Potter to her and they played of all things, Bruce Springsteen and Bob Seger. Oh, no. Okay. Yes. And and she, she lived. 
And when, and I will, I understand that currently JK Rawlings has some issues, but when she heard about this, she sent a set of signed Harry Potter books to Jennifer, the girl who lived. Yeah. That's beautiful. And then, so they're at the book signing and I don't know if you got to go to a book signing. No, I did not. But it's, it is maybe five seconds. You get in front of him, you shake his hand, you look, they take your picture with your camera, and you go. And so afterwards, they asked Juniper, were you sad you didn't get to spend much time with Bruce? And she says, oh, he knows me. He wrote yeah. me all those songs. Yeah, that's wonderful. He's Uncle Bruce. That's right. Yeah, he's he's not a rock star. He's just Uncle Bruce. That's what's so amazing. Yeah. And that's a beautiful story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you the link to the episode. And it, yeah, it's, it really is one of my favorite episodes that, that joy and that love. So you've talked about that in a lot of ways, Bruce's music has helped you learn how to be a father, a husband, um, a co-worker do you have favorite albums or songs that you go to on a regular basis oh that's a good, great question i definitely really love it definitely all comes in waves and comes in seasons I, like i got on a real big kick on the nugs releases of the not that it was devils and dust but it was the devils and dust tour and that whole compilation of that 2005 show like part man, part monkey, Wages of Sin, like hearing, I don't think he played Wages of Sin, but like finding a lot of the deep tracks, I feel like is where I've been spending a lot of my time. If I'm going through something, if I'm got like a big deadline at work, or if I'm like, yeah, I can remember any type of like exam, which I did get to college and made it, graduated. But like any exam, it was like darkness on the edge of town. Like I need to be pissed off just studying. Like this is a fighting song. And so it's always a tool in a way. So I feel like most recently it's been a lot of the Devils and Dust, those solo shows on Nugs and yeah, Seeger Sessions, oddly enough. I've been listening to a lot of that lately and it's kid friendly, which is great. (laughs) Yeah, it really is there. That's great. Other stories from shows, like not that you can beat that one. Do you have other stories from shows that you uh, want to share? Yeah, some of the. I, I so 2012. That was my first show ever. Uh, I, I he might even still work for Bruce. It would be incredible if he did. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But I went to the show and I had no real plans. I just had a I had a cooler of Miller Lite 30 pack, and I just wanted to walk around and just meet people and talk to people and. Just like Bruce was just larger than life to me and met all these great people. And they were like, you can see Bruce after the show when he leaves. And I hadn't even thought of that. And so I just hung out and there were all the normal like venue staff people. And, and then inevitably there was like a moment where everybody, all these guys came out and they were all dressed in black, all very obvious. Okay, here's like the B team. Here comes like the A team. Here's like the real, here's the real guys, right? And so I just awkward, I was, I think I was 22 or something at the time. And I just hung around and 
kind of locked into this one guy and he said his name was Jared and he was just so unbelievably nice and I just played dumb and I was like have you met Bruce he's like yeah I've met him awesome is he like in there he's yeah he's in there he's coming out I was like do you think you think there's a chance I could meet him and he was like he was just I, I remember he chuckled and but he was just like look I can't promise you anything but if you like hang out and I'll do my best. If he gets out, there's a chance he gets out and signs and takes pictures. There's a good chance he won't. But if he does, I'll do what I can. And so I was like, great. And anyway, Bruce comes out. He's got I got the jeans and the boots and the jacket. And he just does a quick wave, gets in the car, and zips away. And I remember I was just like, oh, man, there he goes. And then Jarrett looks over at me. And I just say later, he's, that's why they call him the boss. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You can't yeah. necessarily. That's awesome. Yeah. This is, I always ask this question and right now it's, there's a little bit of sore spot with a, some fans, the uh, lack of diversity on the current tour that he's not changing out a lot. I roll my eyes. I understand being disappointed yeah. What I don't understand is acting like Bruce is deliberately doing this to F you over. And there are people on social media, that's how they act. They act, yeah, why are you doing this to us, Bruce? Versus, okay, the dude wants to play the same songs. Why, why are we giving him crap? But anyway. You're right. But are there songs that you're still chasing? Are there songs live that you still would love to hear? Yeah, Tougher Than the Rest would be great. That was my wife and I's first dance song. That was, I would love to hear that one with my wife. Yeah. The, did he not do it when you were on Broadway? When you uh, saw him on Broadway? Yeah, yeah I, I did hear it. But, but with the band, yes. With the band would just be... Yeah, Absolutely. Different. It was the Times of Freedom, again, the Times of Freedom version that we heard, yeah. the guitar. I, yeah. I love Bruce on piano, but there's something, it's the guitar, right? The, the yeah, sure. Guitar. So yeah, I would love to hear that. But really, it's interesting to think about the set list right now, because I, I had a wonderful time at the show, but the highlight was absolutely the moment that I had with my daughter. Sure. Um, but I was definitely there. I was still feeling it. I love Wrecking Ball. I'll never get tired of that. Backstreets, I heard that. And then when he canceled the Greensboro show, I was at the Virginia Beach show. And I was listening to that recently on Nugs. And there is a big difference in terms of that show and the show that he's doing now. There is a market difference. I don't know that it's worth necessarily complaining about and griping about, especially coming out of COVID. Now, yeah. Yeah. Glad that he's out there and that I have a set list to take a look at. But uh, if I could hear this hard land solo acoustic again, I think that if if something happens and I end up going and leaving this place, and I told my wife, I told her a couple times, hey, this is a song. If, if yeah, bear me with this one. Of just, I just love that song. I think um, I've heard it, and I would I'll chase that one. I would love to hear that one again. I. Great choices. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. Is there anything, Michael, I should have asked you that I haven't? No, I think that's the big thing. Really just, uh, I love the music. Yeah. 
it's the music is everything to me. It's I was raised on 80s films, but Bruce, the person that has really just been so instrumental in not just just how to be a father, how to be present, how to be engaged, how to what yeah. to aspire to. And it's funny to think of somebody so larger than life to create such a local impact. That's really the big thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I get that. I get that a lot. All right. Before I get you out of here and we answer the Mary question, oh, yeah. if, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at PreDadBod. I set that up right before my daughter was born. I thought it was catchy and I just haven't changed it, but I'm not really active. But if anybody wants to reach out, that'd be fine. I definitely have a lot of Bruce activity on Twitter, but it's primarily college sports of just following the Missouri Tigers for football. And if any, that's it at PreDadBod. Okay. I will include that on the show. And I'm on, on BTX too, uh, at Bad 99 or Bad 99. All right. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher that has retired now. But when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road and they would treat it like a poem. They would talk about the imagery Bruce is using, the themes Bruce explores, and at the end of the two days, he would ask his class the question, does Mary get in the car? So, Michael, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I think so. I think she does. And then eventually it's that relationship that leads Bruce to driving the stolen car. Because that kind of youth, that relationship might not pan out. <laughs> I think that, if anything, is the... It's the film noir ending of that youthful real life and real love is not that simple as much as it is romanticized and be great if it was. But yeah, I think she does get in the car. I think they go and live their life and then the walls close in on the character and he's driving a stolen car. Because again, he's probably confused and he's adrift and that's probably a time that made sense to him. So he's trying to maybe relive a little piece of that. I like that answer. I like that answer a lot. Michael, this was great. I am so happy you and your daughter got that moment. That oh, is yeah. just something special. Like, yeah, I will include the photo when I'm sending it out. And that's just a special moment. Um, thank you for spending time with me. Yeah, thank you um, for having me. It's been wonderful. Yeah. So Michael, I appreciate you. Listeners, be safe. Be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 